Shayna, they bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim. And now, here he is, the new managing editor of the Calle du Cinema, <laughs> the Corona Kid, Teal. How's it going, bud? Uh, pretty good. You know, I uh, I read several articles about this guy, du Cinema, issue. Yeah. Uh, there was a really good in-depth one in The New Yorker that sort of went through the entire history of the magazine. Yeah. And uh, sort of how, uh, how, what a big deal this is actually, that they were basically, uh, these new owners were trying to turn it into sort of a promote the French film industry magazine. Yeah. It's sort of, it basically is what it, what they were looking at. And yeah, all the editors said, we're out of here. See ya. I know. I, I, so I, I don't know, I I don't know what's going to happen now. Well, it could be the end of the Cahiers de Cinema. <laughs> it, well, that would be, uh, that would be a shame. Because they have been, I used to uh, read them in high school. <laughs> right. Well, that's why we, when we, when we didn't have the internet, but we were film exactly. fans, we would scour, like, what can I get my hands on? Uh, exactly. You know, like film comment. Yep. Well, Fangoria for me. <laughs> Fangoria, Starlog. Yep. And, and Kaya uh, Cinema. And, and then, uh, yeah. And, and, American, cin- cinema. and American Cinematographer. And American Cinematographers. You could find those in libraries. Yes, and sometimes you know you could go to like a cool place that had like a lot of cool magazines, and they had a film section. But yeah, it was film, and there there was no internet. It was just film magazines. And my high school library had a good collection of many years of guide to cinema, and so I. Uh, well, I can imagine the the high school that you went to would. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I yeah I definitely I, I read those. I mean they're just uh, they were they were so I haven't read them in years, but they were so great to read. Uh, because they really did not pull any punches with their opinions. Well, you know what I say? Thanks for the memories. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, you know, we got we got a lot, a lot of different things we're going to talk about on the show. Uh, okay. But first of all, this just happened one hour ago. No lie. Ooh. Yeah, we got a reader comment, and I thought I would share it because I, I love to hear from a reader. Did I just say reader comment? You said reader. <laughs> a yep. listener, sorry, a listener comment. <laughs> I, I'm re- I'm looking at their, their You're reading email. with your ears. Yeah, but I love to hear from listeners because they give us the feedback. And they this particular person is uh, John Ford. He wrote to us months ago. Wait, John Ford? Yeah, remember I mentioned oh, him yes. before. Yeah, we uh, joked about his name before. We, yeah, we did. Yeah, so he's back. And he liked our top 10 of the decade episode, and he wanted oh. to share his thoughts of some films. Like, he actually wants to rewatch The Master because he really didn't like it that much the first time. Okay. But now after hearing us talk about it, he's interested in checking it out. Great. So here, he gave a, he gave a top 10, and we weren't going to go dive through everything, but I think there's right. some interesting picks in here. And uh, so I thought you'd enjoy hearing what they were. Yeah, yeah. And he gave this is this is what I think is interesting is he has an honorable mention and uh-huh. it's a movie that I've never seen I know about it and I, I got a feeling it wasn't even that great but mm-hmm. 
that's what's so fascinating by hearing other people's picks. Yeah. It spoke to them. And I don't know this person's age. I think he's younger than us. So this is why this movie okay. might mean more to him. Well, and I definitely, you know, I had a few picks on mine that were personal picks, I would say. You know, like they appealed to me personally. I wouldn't necessarily argue them appealing to other people. Yeah. And I had like a movie that I, you know, you think about afterwards and a movie that really it's like if I could just squeeze extra movies into the top 10, I would have made room for a movie you haven't seen. Don't know why. And it really is great is Inside Llewellyn Davis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That one's probably the one that I kind of have the most regrets about not sticking in the top 10. Well, you can put it, uh, I don't know, I had that that stray five after my top <laughs> ten where I could almost trade them out. Like, I, I'm regretting not putting Mother in there. I know, but it was, you know, what I liked about it is that we had so many different picks. We had like a decade's best. It had almost 20 movies, in a sense. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that was great. Uh, but I bet you what you didn't have, and it's probably not even in your uh, honorable mentions, is Remember mm. Me. Remember me. Yes, it is this weird, sappy love movie with Robert Pattinson and the one from Lost Claire. Where's the baby Claire? What's her name? Oh, oh, yeah, that yeah, okay. That actress. You know, she's gone to. Was it Evangeline Lilly or the other? No, it no, wasn't no. Evangeline. What was her Lilly. name? I don't. I, I can't remember. Anyhow, I know. I know. Isn't it terrible. Yeah. We've already forgotten. But but uh, it it has a nine eleven tie in. I do know that. Okay. And. What this person, uh, John Ford, says is that he thought after watching it that the ending seemed cheap, but then after thinking about it, he realized the point of the movie was re to recreate the shock of 9-11, and he oh. feels it's the only movie that's ever done that for 9-11 or any other unexpected disaster. Okay, that's very interesting. Okay. And, he, and he feels like it was a bit of a trick of the movie, but it didn't, because it didn't sell that in the marketing. Okay. But I, but I, but I think that's a fascinating opinion, especially where if he's younger than us, that uh, for me, like you know, I mean, you want to know about uh, 9-11, See United ninety three. That was a pretty wild, powerful movie. Right. I, I never saw that Oliver Stone one, World Trade Center. I saw it on cable, and it feels like a cable movie. Okay, <laughs> it's not yeah. that good. Anyways, here's his top ten, and uh, number ten is a movie that, I mean, it's not my best of a decade, but boy, if I was putting out like personal favorites, I right. have to agree, I love this film, About Time. About Time? Yeah. What is that? It's a great, it's a great time travel movie, and the guy who wrote uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral oh, yes. and Yesterday. I never, I never saw this, yeah. It's his best directorial effort. He's only directed a few okay. movies, Yeah. but I actually think it's almost a perfect movie he finds a way to do time travel in a way that I think in my mind I would like it to be done. Right. Okay. And it really is a satisfying film. I think I've seen it three times. I love it. Okay. I and I will watch it. It sounds like the kind of thing my wife might like too. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So here's the thing that I think you're going to warm your heart. This guy, John Ford, keep plugging him. Uh, don't know even know where he's from, but <laughs> he is a Gyllenhaal fan. Oh, yes. Number oh. nine, Prisoners. A great choice um, on in so many different ways. It's a great script. The filmmaking is fantastic. Yeah, it's a movie that I just, like I said before, didn't want to watch it because of the subject matter, hard to watch, but boy, is it good. Yeah, it's a really good movie, yeah. Bernie, and not uh, not the guy who's continually oh, yeah, still no, running the White House. Yeah, you know Bernie with, with Jack Black. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I know it. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's an interesting pick. Like now I might now I want to see it more yeah. than I did before. So that's I why totally I, want, yeah. I appreciate him having this list. A uh, Winner's Bone. I love Winner's Bone. 
Oh, yeah. Great choice. Yep. Uh, number six, I think you and I are both going to like this because I wouldn't necessarily put this on my top 10. However, I might take the trilogy and put it in my top 10. Is <laughs> John Wick. Okay. Well, that was in my top for the year. Right. But this is the first one. Yeah. This Okay. The first one. He's, yeah. given, he's given representation to Johnny... I, I, I really, I really like this guy's list. So I know far. that's why I'm like so. The more people send me this their list because I'm liking it. Like I, <laughs> really unique picks on here. Like you know, if you go and look at like critics' best of the decade list, you're not going to see uh, the ones this guy is picking. Well, you're going to see some of them because the next one, is, I have to a man after my own heart. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Oh yeah, okay, give that great. a five spot, baby. Wow. Next one. For the decade. This is another one. And now it just brings me up to another film that if I really think about it, it could, I could make a case for best of the decade. This one is that Jay Shandor, is it? All is Lost. Oh, yeah. Robert Redford, minimal performance kind yeah. of thing. I, um, I like that a lot. I didn't like it. You didn't? Oh, I liked it. And I expected to like it. It's the kind of movie I really like. And- there were a few things about it that bothered me. Maybe it's because like, it reminded me of like if your dad was on a boat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There were just a, a few decisions he made that I couldn't believe. Hmm. If, like when he sees the storm coming and then he goes back into the boat to shave. I, I, I was baffled. Like I, I couldn't, it, like it, he seemed. Well, I'll tell you what. I, 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 I am, I'm trying to stretch back and remember it. But think about this, <laughs> is that maybe he's using it as a calming mechanism to get his brain in order. Except there wasn't enough in the performance for me to understand why he was making his oh choices. Oh my God, you're an odd fellow. Well, the movie that reminded me of <laughs> is that I would like is that I mentioned this on the show before because I caught up with it just this year. Is uh, Shandor's end uh, the year of the most violent year? Oh yes, that okay. movie. I, I mean, I rarely will say it's there's a masterpiece, but that movie would have been high on my top ten for that year had I okay. seen it then. So uh, again, I, I like this guy's picks. And then number three. Now here, here we go. This is another Gyllenhaal thing, and I have not seen it, but you have. Okay. End of watch. Oh, that's a really interesting pick. Yeah, of cu- of course, it's another great Gyllenhaal performance. Well, he also puts in parentheses with Nightcrawler, Prisoners, and Enemy. Gyllenhaal is my <laughs> actor of the decade. <laughs> Okay, well, me too. All right. And then number yeah. two, uh, this movie I know you're going to disagree with. And it was in my top 10 for that particular year because the experience of seeing it in IMAX was so amazing. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a movie I go and revisit. Uh, but this might show you also this kid's age, Inception. Okay, yeah. I, you didn't I, like that one. I know you didn't. <laughs> I didn't like Inception. Well, you, know, you, you, you don't really like, uh, what's his face there? I don't like Christopher Nolan. Yeah. But you like uh, Dunkirk and that I respect you for because Dunkirk was great. Yeah, although there were there's some changes I would make in Dunkirk. Of course. Well, well, the first change is I'd have you actually see it in IMAX or something instead of your TV set. My biggest issue with Christopher Nolan in general is I think his dialogue explains too much and and tells too much. And if he cu- just cut his dialogue back by like 25%. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Um, <laughs> you know yeah. I'm right. Well, maybe if uh, maybe Tenet will beam up your sleeve. And then number one for this I, I, guy. I've actually considered doing my own cut of Interstellar oh just to take the dialogue out. Oh, Interstellar. Yeah, well, it's like reconnaissance there. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's a weak point. Um, Whiplash, number one on this guy's list. Oh, interesting. Okay. I, I really like Whiplash. It was yep. in my top 10 that year. And I'm wondering if this guy is a musician. I'm, I'm not sure. 
Oh, interesting. Well, that's this is a great list. I'm really yeah. glad we got this. Yes. This is a, a, a couple of films that I definitely need to check out. I'm going to check out Bernie. I don't know when, but uh, and it's not going to be the uh, the the old man still running for president. It's the <laughs> guy that uh, like killed somebody or something. I don't. Yeah, I don't know the story about it at all. I just. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I. Yeah, I think I saw. I think I saw a trailer at some point when it first came out, but. So that was unplanned. I didn't, I didn't, but I thought it would be important to go. Now, I'm going to dive into something, and I think we're going to do this pretty quick. Okay. Uh, okay. Remember last week, we talked about those films from the 60s. That yes, were, that I had not seen. Yeah. And I thought that was, I, I personally thought it was interesting. Yeah, uh, I did too. There was a movie that was from one year that we left out because uh-huh. it wasn't, it was a misprint on the sheet that I had, but okay. I discovered it again was, uh, it was like 1962. It was the 62 Marlon Brando version of Mutiny on the Bounty was nominated for Best Picture. Oh, yes. Okay, that makes sense. Infamous box office bomb, and it cost yes. a ton of money. Uh, yep. It was shot in the super Panavision 70, that super widescreen format. Okay. The only time I've seen the movie in completion was pan and scan on TV. So you can imagine <laughs> that, like, literally I was watching only one third of the movie. Um, I think, yeah, I think I saw it on VHS. And that's, that's what it would Yeah, it would have been Only VHS. time I saw it, yeah. Now, I've seen parts, just clicks, like, on TCM, and it's gorgeous. And I would love to see it, like, if they had a 70-millimeter print available and you could see it, uh, you know, Super Panavision at a festival, I would go. Anyways, that was that. (laughs) Okay, that's a good note, good footnote. Now it's going to bring me into my next segment, the 1970s. Yes. Okay, but here's what we're going to do this time. I'm going to do is I am going to read the list quickly of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture, and Mm. then I am going to predict... Which of those films that you have seen or haven't seen? Okay. And I'm going to see if I'm right. And then I'm going to ask you which movies, if any, you think did not get a director nomination. Okay? Okay. You know the rules? Yes. Okay. Here's 1970. Patton. It was the winner. The nominees aside from Patton were Airport, Five Easy Pieces, Love Story, which was a box office sensation, Mm -hmm. and uh, Robert Altman's MASH, also a sensation. So, out of those five movies, if I were to wager a guess, I think you've seen all four of the nominees, except for the fifth one, which would be Love Story. I don't think you've ever seen it. I've never seen Love Story. Have you seen the other four? Uh, there was, uh, read them again quickly. Pat- Patton. You've seen Patton. Airport. Never seen Airport. Come, no, come on now. Listen, that's one of my all-time favorites. It's a cheese really? bag. It's the, Oh, yeah. It's the best. You know, I may have seen parts of it on so TV good. at times and stuff, but yeah, no, I've I've never, uh, yeah, that was just not a uh, genre that I really got into. Wow. And then- I mean, I guess, hey, I liked Towering Inferno. Or, well, we'll talk about that in a moment. But you've seen MASH, obviously. Yes. Um, okay, so now, out of those five, and, and I'll tell you, this is one hint I'll give you for the whole decade. Yeah. Every single year, at least one film- that was nominated for Best Picture, did not get a Best Director nomination as well. So there's one out of every year at least. Some, okay. some have two. So I'm going to choose uh, I'm gonna choose Patton. No, it won Best Picture. Uh, oh, I thought you were talking about didn't get a director nod. Yeah, but if it won Best Picture, it's probably got a director okay. nod, right? So I'm going to give you that too. Okay, so then I'll go with Airport. You are correct. It did not get a nomination and Five Easy Pieces did not get a director nomination what? either. What? I know, that's insane. Well, do you want to know what did instead? <laughs> okay. Okay. And I'm going to sub what it like out. So for airport, I'll sub out uh, Ken Russell for women in love. Okay. And that makes sense. That okay. great, great yeah, movie. that makes sense. But here's the other one that is the <laughs> ultimate mystery, right? I mean, especially since five easy pieces didn't get nominated. Instead, right. they nominated, get this, Fellini's Satyricon. 
Wow. Have you but, ever you have seen have you ever seen yes, Satirical? Yes. It is possibly if I had to take a list of ten movies that I think are the ultimate challenge to try to sit through. Right. That's up there. And I'm wondering if it got that because most people felt like this is this is their version of like uh, punking somebody that because it is it is not a, I just don't understand that out of all the Fellini movies it is probably the most Fellini esque I guess but it is just hard to watch it is yeah it's not it, it's not the easy breezy uh, plot driven eight and a half no <laughs> yeah when eight and a half is the, <laughs> yeah it makes eight and a half look like the most standard like action plot of all time it, it is a hard hard film. So anyways, that's the 1970, 1971. Here are the nominees. The French Connection, A Clockwork Orange, Fiddler on the Roof, The Last Picture Show, and Nicholas and Alexander. Now, if I was to wager a guess, I would say that you have not seen Nicholas Alexander and you have not seen Fiddler on the Roof, but you've seen the other three. Correct. Correct. Wow. So you've seen The Last Picture Show. You nailed it. You know, actually, oh, oh yes, I've definitely seen The I'm Last gonna, Picture I'm gonna Show. I'm going to reach through this microphone and slap you if you haven't seen The Last Picture Show. I think, I, you know, I think actually at some point when I was a kid, I did see Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, I haven't seen it in years, but. Yeah, I think I think I did see I it when I was like pass. 10 or something. But Nicholas and Alexandra, I just can't imagine that you would have seen yeah, that. It, I have it's, not it, seen it. I haven't seen it in years, but I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen every movie nominated for picture in the 70s, so. Okay. Okay, so now, out of all those five, one was not nominated for Best Director. Which one? I wish I had the list in front of me. <laughs> You're not getting that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, no, if it's going to be too just... hard for you to remember, I'll tell you, Nicholas and Alexander did not get nominated for Best Director. See, so didn't see it, so I wouldn't have picked it anyway. The in, the person instead, well, I'm not saying who should have. I'm saying who right. didn't get nominated. John Schlesinger for Sunday Bloody Sunday. Interesting. You didn't see that either. I did see that. Oh, you did see that one. I have. Yeah. I saw it actually uh, my freshman year. At... That's the one with the like blimp in the football game? No. Oh, no. That's Black Sunday. <laughs> it's Black Sunday. No, Sunday Bloody Sunday is like a real drama where uh, Peter Finch and somebody else, they're like, he's got, Peter Finch is okay. torn between a love between a, a, a man and a woman and, and then another man. Like, and it was okay. groundbreaking at the time because it was like dealing with a same sex relationship in a time that nobody had that going. Okay. Yeah. I have not seen it. Okay. 1972. Then the, the nominees were The Godfather, the eventual winner, Cabaret, Deliverance, Sounder, and The Immigrants. Okay. I am going to say that you have not seen The Immigrants and you may not have seen Sounder. Correct. I have not seen either of them. The Immigrants <laughs> is, uh, you know, it's no, it's Swedish. It's an immigrant yeah. experience. And I'm, I'm Scandinavian, so of course I've seen it. <laughs> and uh, Sounder, I mean, it's a, that's a classic and uh, you should see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm aware of it. I'm aware that it's a classic. I'll probably never see it. All right. And there was one film that didn't get a director nomination uh, out of those five. Got to be The Godfather. No, The Godfather. No, I'm joking. <laughs> okay. It, but it didn't win Best Director. That was a, one of those rare instances where oh, wow. Cabaret, Bob Fosse won Best Director. That's right. Okay. It was winning everything that night, and it was upsetting The Godfather until The Godfather won Best Picture. Okay. Uh, but anyways, the movie that did not get a director nomination was Martin Ritt for Sounder. Okay. And instead was Joe Mankiewicz for Sleuth. Weird. Yeah, because if you've seen that movie, you wouldn't yeah. say the best director. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really weird. I know. 
It's a weird one. So, 1973, we're moving on. Okay. Winner. And winner for Best Director, The Sting. Okay. American Graffiti. Mm-hmm. The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. A Touch of Class. Mm-hmm. Cries and Whispers. Okay. Boy, I mean, back in the 70s, I mean, you're read- I'm reading these titles. There's some great films that they're- There's some in. great films, yeah. Okay. So, I would say- that you have not seen a touch of class, but you've seen everything else. Now, is touch of class? That's with um. It's George Siegel. It's a comedy. It's like a weird thing that it was even nominated. It was a comedy that had Glenn, oh yeah, Glenda okay. Jackson I... and uh, George Siegel's having an affair with her. She won Best Actress that year. Okay, I have not seen it. I saw it uh, back in the eighties. And it's a shock that it was nominated for Best Picture. It was not nominated for Best Director. That went to Bernardo Bertolucci for Last Tango in Paris. Okay, interesting. But you've seen Cries and Whispers, right? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like. He's, uh, if you m- have, I might not be able to do the podcast with him. <laughs> I've seen it more than once. Okay. In fact. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I watched it uh, like a uh, when Criterion was going off. Oh right. Before it came back. I watched it as part of this little Bergman kick. And, you know, when I watched it as a teenager in the like mid 80s, I was not old enough to appreciate it. No. And I I think, I don't know, there's probably a lot of films like this that as I've come back to them later in life, I appreciate them so much more. Oh, yeah. I mean, Cries and Whispers, I was like devastated the second time I watched it. The first time I was like, this movie was boring. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I'm just, I mean, now, I mean, I recommend everybody seeing that. So, all right. Well, again, I want to move this along pretty fast. Uh, 1974. Godfather Part 2, the eventual winner and Best Director winner that year. Never saw it. Okay, stop. Okay, sorry. I, You're I, not supposed I, to give it away. But I know, I but it was, no. it was just a joke. Yeah, I, I know to... for a fact you were in the living room watching it with that gal, Mary Lynn Purcell. So don't tell me you didn't try to see it. Uh, Chinatown. You didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, come on. Anybody worth their salt has seen Chinatown. Uh, the Conversation. And I know mm-hmm. we've seen that because it's one of our favorite movies. Uh, then there's also Lenny. Mm-hmm. And the towering inferno, and I know you've seen all five. I have seen all five, several of them multiple times. Yeah, I mean, the towering inferno was something as a kid. I mean, I thought it was the greatest movie ever. Uh, it's it's awful. Yeah. So the voting the voting me at like eight who couldn't wait to watch yes. it on the ABC movie two <laughs> nights in a row. Uh, I would have voted for the towering inferno. Now I'm like, get that get that movie out of there. <laughs> yeah. That is no business. So two movies didn't make it for Best Director. And this one is kind of crazy. And I, and there's only one reason why, because the Academy was already going to give him the director for The Godfather Part Two, but the conversation did not get a Best Director nomination. For, that is shocking. It did for the DGA. They gave him the two nominees. Okay. Um, but instead, we had... Uh, John Cassavetes for A Woman Under the Influence. Oh, interesting. Now, that's a great choice. Yeah, that is a great choice. But, I mean, I would have slotted that for The Towering Inferno. And then the other movie that got nominated for Best Director was Francois Truffaut for Day for Night. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, I like that. It's it's not my favorite Truffaut film, but, I, you no. know. No, I mean, again, if I had to if I had to take the Pepsi Challenge conversation, director over both of those films, yeah. but certainly the Towering Inferno, slot one of those in, probably Woman <laughs> Under the Influence, just because yeah. there's nothing like it at the time. Get rid of Towering Inferno. I know. So we have to look at an embarrassing choice <laughs> that, for that academy. I mean, come on. So 1975, I think we're getting a little bit better here. <laughs> All right. Uh, the nominees and the eventual winner was one Flew over the cuckoo's nest. Okay. Barry Lyndon. Oh, yeah. Dog Day Afternoon. 
Okay. Jaws and Nashville. Now, I mean, that's, you know. So what have I not seen? Oh, you've seen them all. I've seen them all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's right. When we get into 75, I mean, every one of those is its own right a classic. Yes. I'd say the most dated movie right now is probably Nashville. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, uh, dated is, 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 yeah, is correct. It, yeah. It, it's just not uh, as fresh hold, as it, it once was. Up. It doesn't, yeah. Um, yeah, it's become more of a curio. And One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is great, but after you've seen it once, it's. It, I'm going to say it doesn't hold up. It's just not as great as at the time it was a sensation, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I first saw it as a kid on VHS. Yeah, and, me too. <laughs> and was totally blown away by it. You Absolutely. I thought it was the most amazing thing ever and that Jack Nicholson was godlike in his abilities yes um and then there was one movie that didn't get even best director and anybody who knows film history knows that it was steven spielberg for jaws he did not make the cut yep. and uh instead it was fellini again the spoiler for um, <laughs> for armacord which is a great movie but yes um it's weird they just love the director's branch love to get artsy you know yeah, uh, but and the, <laughs> I guess they spent you know the next forty years making it up to Spielberg. Yeah, it took them a while to make it up. Um, but anyways, <laughs> nineteen seventy six. Okay, this is an interesting year because this is some of the this is tough. It's it's this is the Sophie's Choice year where right. you have to take somebody out because uh, there were so many good ones. I think actually that's what happened. There's so many people chose for certain films, and then the one that like was the most popular ended up winning. So nominees were Taxi Driver. Okay. Network, Bound for Glory, mm-hmm. All the President's Men, and then, of course, the little underdog that could, the movie that did win Best Film and Director, <laughs> Rocky. <laughs> now, I think we all know from a critical standpoint that what the best movie of the year was, it was not Rocky. <laughs> it was not Rocky. Yeah. No. I mean, we've got, we got two camps, well, three camps. We got your network camp, we got your All the President's Men camp, and your taxi driver camp. Most people haven't seen Bound for Glory. I'm guessing that you have not. I have not. Yeah, and it's it is an amazing movie with an amazing cinematography from Haskell Wexler. Uh, it's definitely worth seeing, but I would say that you're a network guy all the, all the way. I am network all the way. Yeah, I mean, I, th- that's it. I mean, I can't fault Taxi Driver. <sighs> Taxi Driver is a great choice because I mean, and then all the presidents men. I've seen that movie like fifteen times. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I've seen that a bunch. But for me, you know, network is like yeah, that's the one that you know. That's maybe in my top 10 of all time. I know. So I know you would have picked that. But guess what? Yeah. The Academy, uh, and, and this is what's shocking, is that Bound for Glory, okay, that did not get nominated for Best Director. And I and I, I guess I can understand that, though it's the great um, Hal Ashby. Right. But Taxi Driver, they denied Scorsese. <laughs> no director nomination. They didn't like those young upstarts like Spielberg and <laughs> Scorsese. Uh, so here are the movies that did get nominated. We got another artsy-fartsy, Ingmar Bergman for Face to Face. Interesting, which I've not seen. I have not seen it either. And this one I started years ago and I got distracted, so I never got back to it. Okay. Uh, but this is this is historic. Seven Beauties by Lena Vertmuller. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that makes her the very first woman to be nominated for Best Director of the Academy. Okay, interesting. Yep. 77, Annie Hall, mm-hmm. The Goodbye Girl, Julia, Star Wars, The Turning Point. Now, I'm going to guess, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that yep. you've only seen Annie Hall in Star Wars. Yes. You've never seen The Goodbye Girl, even though that's a, com- it's a comedy classic. I, it's a comedy cla- Wait, wait, wait. Is that with Richard Dreyfuss? It is. I've seen it. Okay. All right. So you saw yeah. that. Julia, I doubt you saw that. Did not see Julia. 
And that movie, I liked it when I was like a teenager. Thought, oh, this is a pretty good movie. And then I've seen it again, and it's like, it's dated. And okay, the turning point. <laughs> I saw that. Really? One, I saw that one time, like when I was like twelve, and I'm like, I never want to see that again. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> oh, it's like about ballet dancers and a rivalry between Shirley MacLaine and um, Anne Bancroft. They they're kind of like older now, and now their like daughters are are doing ballet, but they were rivals when they were younger or something. That sounds terrible. I bet you it's way better like now if I saw it as an adult. <laughs> but boy, I just remember when I was a kid going to the movie theater and that trailer would come on. <laughs> it was the longest three minutes of my life. And it would be, it would be like, when is this movie going to come out and go? Because it just looks awful. <laughs> I remember when I first bought that uh, Oscar book and I looked at like 1977 because, of course, that was the banner year for me with Star right. Wars. And I'm like, that movie. It was nominated, and now I'm going to have to watch it? Uh-huh. Okay, so one movie of those five did not get nominated for Best Director, and that was The Goodbye Girl. You know, they don't like comedies that much. The Goodbye Girl, okay. Yeah. But guess what? They felt bad that they denied Spielberg. Oh, so they tossed him a bone? They tossed him a bone for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which probably should have been nominated for Best Picture. It should have been. Yeah, I am... I'm a big fan of that movie. It might be my favorite Spielberg movie. That I wouldn't. Uh, it was not mine, but it wouldn't. Uh, I would, I'm not. I'm not faulting you for that because it's a great pick. Yeah, I, uh, there's something about that movie. I mean, I like it. Uh, it. It appeals to me personally too. Like for some reason, uh, the Richard Dreyfuss character, I can really relate to. Yes, and there's you know what there's he does simple things that you that it's like I don't know what it is because I don't think even Spielberg can do it anymore because yeah. just by judging by watching the paper or whatever it was called that he can't. There's a moment in Close Encounters at the beginning when they're in the like control room and there's a guy he looks like Morgan Freeman but he's not and okay. he asks. The uh, their aircraft control and they ask the right. airplane. They're like tr- confused out there. He's like, "Do you want to report a UFO?" And the guy's like, "I don't want to report it." And there's something that feels like he dropped a camera on a real situation. And the way the right. acting and the way the dialogue, everything feels like the conversation would and not all hyped up the way they make these conversations now. Right. And I mentioned United 93, like just at the beginning of the program, it's kind of like that. Like he has a way of making things feel like what would happen in real life if an alien encounter was going on. Uh, That's what I liked about it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That I I would totally agree with that. And you're right. Spielberg had those small, I mean, that movie is filled with them those these little moments like some just the family stuff i find really compelling there's also a lot of things as a kid when i first saw it i was seven and i just it's it's it implanted itself in my brain but i just didn't appreciate it the way i appreciated star wars at the time and then my dad was i think crushed that i didn't like it a few years later took me back and i like we saw the special edition and then i was like i missed some things out of the original i didn't like that they cut some stuff out but i enjoyed the movie as a whole much more but as an adult there are just details as a kid i couldn't quite understand and i love and i love the fact that i just didn't get the levels that spielberg was going for and that's the way I didn't understand why Richard Dreyfus was building the mountain. I just thought right. it was cool. And I didn't understand yeah. other people drawing pictures. What I didn't realize is that when the ship went over him when he was in his truck, yeah. it was take, it was implanting yes. in his brain. Like it was shooting those like photo memories into yes. him. And so I didn't, you know, as a kid, I didn't get that. 
And okay, so when right. you watch the stuff, it, it's much – plus also I didn't understand that little Barry, you know, when he's like being invaded. I didn't understand when he was talking. It looked like as a kid he was just talking to nobody. I didn't oh, understand right. that one of the aliens was actually in his house and he was right. talking to him. <laughs> they just didn't show the alien. They just didn't show the alien. Yeah, so it's hard to imagine – it, sometimes I find this with my children too. They take things really literally. Yes. And uh, yeah, and if you don't see the person, they're not there. Yes. My my son, my oldest one, is now starting the age of seeing some movies for a second time. Right. And watching them and kind of being like, "This is an entirely different movie that I first saw." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, we're going to continue. Uh, yeah. Nineteen seventy-eight, The Deer Hunter, winner, mm-hmm. best picture and director. Also, Vietnam was big that year. Hal Ashby's yep. coming home. His only directorial nomination. Oh, interesting. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Hal Ashby fan. Yes, except for not completionist because you haven't seen Bound for Glory. So get Defin- out. I'm, not, I'm <laughs> definitely not completionist. You haven't seen The Landlord, yeah. have you? Have you seen The Landlord? Yes. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. Um, anyways, Heaven Can Wait. Buck Henry, mm-hmm. the late great Buck Henry. We haven't paid our respects. He passed away a couple of months ago. A couple of months ago. Midnight Express. Mm. Yep. And then an unmarried woman. Okay. So now. Really interesting collection. Yeah. yeah. Well, I tell you, the 70s were an interesting time. Okay. So I would say you've seen The Deer Hunter. You've seen Coming Home. You've seen Midnight Express. I am on the fence whether you ever saw Heaven Can Wait and you never saw Unmarried Woman. Never saw Unmarried Woman. I've seen Heaven Can Wait probably a dozen times. Oh, okay. So that must have been one that your parents dragged you to when you were too young. Yes, actually, yeah, I, I saw it in the theater. It's great. I love it. Um, I, I'm a big Heaven Can Wait fan. I love that movie. Great. But Unmarried Woman, I saw it actually freshman year at USC. They showed it in film school. And, Is uh, it Paul Mazursky? Yes, and it's a great it's a great movie. Uh, and I actually think that even though, you know, divorce is very common now and it was a little right. bit more, it, it's, you know, it's an interesting in a time when, you know, men dominate the scene and it's always the man story. Here's a, a, a very focused uh, Jill Clayburgh, amazing performance where she thinks her life was perfect and then her husband dumps her for somebody else and now <laughs> okay. she has to pick up yeah. the pieces of her life and it's fascinating. I, I really okay. like it. Yeah, I, I've heard good things about it. I... But it didn't get nominated for Best Director. Interesting. Woody Allen for Interiors. Oh. Which took me years to see, by the way, but I did see it and I do like it. I like it too. Uh, it's a little bit fan fiction-y for me. <laughs> what do you mean? Like Bergman fan fiction? Yeah, it's like Bergman fan fiction. <laughs> I know, but what a great guy to, to imitate because nobody else does that. Like, he, yeah. really, you know what I mean? Like, I think that was kind of cool that American was so enamored with uh, Igmar Bergman that he would try to do that. Yeah. And yeah, I actually really like that movie. I first saw it in high school. I've seen it a couple times since. Yeah. Interior. It, but what, man, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not a laugh riot. <laughs> well, it was also <laughs> shot by uh, Gordon Willis. Yes. And it's amazing looking. Okay. What else you got? Okay. Last year, the last year, 1979. This yeah. one is, this one, you know, is, is really wild because there's so many uh, amazing choices for one year. It's like some years, you know, there's like a standout clear winner, right. you know, and, but then there's other years where you're like, oh man, I myself would have a hard time picking best. Okay. The winner that year, and I think it's dated. I don't think it would win this anytime after that is Kramer versus Kramer. Mm-hmm. But people have to understand, it was a sensation. It was an. Uh, I went and saw it in the theater. My parents dragged me to see it. It was. It was a huge topic of conversation. Yeah. Because it was really getting into divorce uh, in a way that had not been done at the time. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Apocalypse Now. Never seen it. 
<laughs> I bet you haven't. Which version? I've seen all of them. <laughs> I've seen all of them. No, actually, the new, the new cut I haven't seen, actually. Oh, there's a Redux Redux? There's a Redux of the Redux, which includes some of the Redux, but not all of the Redux, and then some other things. Yeah, it's, I know. So I've seen the Redux, which I think is amazing, and I've seen, of yeah. course, the regular one a bunch of times. Uh, then here it is. This is this is why it would be tough, because normally it'd be like, wow, uh, Apocalypse Now for sure. However, there's another film that's a personal favorite. <laughs> One of our all-time favorites, you and I, all that jazz. Yes. And so, you know, I'm like, I'm like, if I'm trying to fill out my ballot, maybe I'm putting Kramer versus Kramer just because I can't pick between Apocalypse Now and all that jazz. <laughs> oh, man, that is a really tough call because I got to say both of them, I still watch. Exactly. And here's another one that's coming right down the pike that it, clearly it doesn't have the merits that those two films have. However... You're going to tell me how many times you've seen this movie because yeah. it's another classic that I just – I will watch all the time if it's on, Breaking Away. Oh, yeah. You know what? I've only seen it once. Wow. I've seen it a bunch yeah. of times. And I watched it with my son a few years ago and he really liked it. I think I may have seen it in the theater actually. Well, I, I bet you have. It was one that I yeah. wanted to see, but of course my dad wasn't interested. And if my parents weren't interested, I just wasn't going at the No, time. that's totally the kind of movie my parents would take me to. I bet it was. Well, because it also takes place in a college and your parents were yeah. you know, working in a college and all that stuff. So that's okay. That's four. We still have a fifth one to go. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I'd say Tough year. Probably, I'd say this is probably the weakest of the five. And that's, and that's not saying anything because it's certainly a top 10 for the year anyway. And it yeah. just features a great uh, female performance is Norma Ray. Okay, never saw it. No, you're joking. Oh, uh, sorry. I was I, Sally Field. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Union, with the, you know. Unions. Okay, yeah, I saw it. Okay, I'm like, come on. So you saw I, all uh, five that year. I just, I just had a a, a blank out moment okay, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was, and that was Martin Ritt again. They just, yes, clearly don't like him as a director because he did not get nominated. And here's the one that did another one of those artsy type moves. Edward Monaro for a huge art house sensation. People I don't think today would understand what a what an insane like monster smash movie this was for the art house scene. La Cage aux Folles. Oh, that oh yeah, huge. And you know what? People are like, well, wasn't that a comedy? But it is such a delicate balance, mm -hmm. and how he has to put certain things together and make it just—I mean, the stakes keep getting higher, and it's uproarious, and it, 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 there's a lot going on. It really is a kind of a comic masterpiece. Yeah. So, uh, was it? You know, should it have been nominated? I don't know. But that there's your list. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before we're going to get into the main event, which now is like <laughs> only a little bit of time left, I do have one question for you. Yeah. I was on Criterion last night looking for something mm -hmm. to put on right before bed. And I saw they have a list of what's going to be leaving at the end of the month. Right. And then there's this film and I was like, you know, I've never seen it. There's something – I've heard something about it. I got to just – maybe I'll put it on for a few minutes to check it out. Have you ever seen 1975's John Schlesinger directed Day of the Locust? Yes. You have with William Atherton yes. and Karen yes. Black? Yep. A CD portrayal of the 1930s Hollywood? Yes, based on the Nathaniel West book. Yes. Which is why I dug up the movie is because I was a fan of the book. I'm watching this thing and, 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 and just like, it's, I don't know, the way it's directed or something, it's kind yeah. of like a disaster. However, and I think this is what you'll, you'll agree with me, it's shot by Conrad Hall. And the look of this movie is unlike almost anything I've ever seen. Yeah. It's, okay. It's maybe like pre-flashed or something. It has this faded... The sun is drenching characters in a weird way, almost washing them out. If you see characters from the distance, they almost look like 
they don't look real and didn't they pre-flash on um McCabe and Mrs. Miller. They did, which is what makes me think because this has sort of that like orangey brown look. Yeah. And maybe it's healthily processed or filtered. I don't know. I, I tried to actually look up this morning uh, to see what they did. Because Interesting. it's so cool looking that I can't take my eyes off it. Like I'm just fascinated because it feels like a faded memory. I haven't seen it in a long time, but. It's also weird. I mean, 40 minutes in and it's like a two hour and 10 minute movie. And also there's a weird thing where there's somebody, and I, I'm, I'm assuming this plot will get revealed later in the film, but right. there's a, a there's a boy dressed up like a girl, dressed up sort of like a Shirley Temple character, roaming around the studios with like a, a Hollywood um, backstage mom. Yes. Dragging this character from place to place. And I they don't haven't shown close up, but at first I thought, is that is that the actress Linda Manns like in this outfit? <laughs> but I was sort of right. It was a very young Jackie <laughs> Haley Jr., the guy from uh, Bad News Bears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and he's dressed up like this guy, girl. So I don't know what where that story goes, but that also fascinates me because this thing has a sort of Lynchian type. Uh, it does, yeah, and and the book is like that too. But I, you're right, the movie is a little bit of a disaster. Yeah, but I like I said, I'm going to finish it just because. Yeah, yeah. I got to see this. And I also like, I mean, Karen Black, I, I, she's just an odd character person to like spend time with as a lead character, <laughs> you know, and, and that's, but I don't know. I, I've, I've always had a, some kind of soft spot for her. Well, <laughs> I, I certainly didn't have a hard spot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I like her in the, you know, those Larry Cohen movies and stuff. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, there was like the trilogy of terror with the crazy doll. Um, yeah. Okay. So now that we have no time left, uh, time for the main event. <laughs> How long have we been going? How, you don't need to know. Long I, enough. No, 20, 40, well, 42 minutes. Okay. And we're supposed to do the, this next segment in like 15 minutes. Okay. 15, 20. I think we can do it. We'll okay. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> many months ago. <laughs> set this up. Yeah, you set this up. Many months ago, I was trolled by yes. a fan of, uh, I don't know if he's a fan of the show. I don't know if he really listens, but he's a fan he of ours. He does listen. Okay. Yeah, Once he, in a while, he he's... pops in. This guy Gerardo, we'll call him. I don't know. I call him the troll. Um, <laughs> and he trolled me pretty hard by trying to say that like uh, this director S, uh, Craig Zoller, was better than Tarantino or something. Yes. And I thought it was weird to make these comparisons. So <laughs> I said, well, I got to see this guy's made three movies and two of them were available on demand so or, or streaming. So I will watch them because I don't have to pay yeah. for them them and they were uh, brawl in cell block 99 from a couple years ago and then from like a year before that is this western bone uh, tomahawk yes and i started with the first movie and by the end of it which was the cell block one i watched first right i was i immediately went right into bone tomahawk because i said <laughs> i gotta I, i've gotta i've gotta see more of this guy not that i like i just gotta see what's going on well because something is going on right well that's the whole thing right like i feel like this guy as a director he lets sh he lets scenes go way on too long he yeah. is very static shots he hardly moves the camera they're shot in a way that almost like sure they're shot with a nice digital camera but Right. They're actually shot on a way that looks very sound stagey or yeah or even like uh, even like theatrical like it's a play at yeah times. so so I'm like and this and even the way they're composed there's not like mm -hmm. really good compositions and so there's like some film link making language lost however then he and they're way too long like these are genre yes. exercises that you think should be maybe 90 minutes uh, hour and 40 but instead they're frequently over two hours <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah but it's undeniable that just like with the cell block in 99 that I first watch then the, the, the second hour becomes this action-packed frenetic 
super high energy movie that you just, it, you're so gripped. And, yes. And the same thing with Bone Tomahawk that you wonder, is that actually part of his style that he builds to something that you're now more into it because of all the stuff he made you go through? You've gone through a lot. Well, you've gone through a lot of, I guess what you would just call character development, right? And you just uh, sit with these characters and these long scenes with dialogue. There's a scene early on in uh, Brawl on Cell Block 99, which I, I don't think this ruins anything to to talk about this, but the main character comes home, he finds out that his wife has been cheating on him. And the conversation that they have about that was really unexpected to me. There's so many easy directions you can go with that. And it went in a direction I wasn't expecting in terms of how this character reacted. And that sucked me into his character. So I think a lot of all this setup, the, these sort of this drawn out setup that uh, Zoller is doing conditions you somehow for this third act, which is often incredibly violent, brutal, uh, and yes, kind of action packed and, and almost as a set piece, like, I, you know, this guy does violence in a really interesting way. We'll get to that. But I, I think that setup is part of what makes it so appealing. Yeah. And so the one movie I didn't see, right, to make a complete trilogy. Yes. <laughs> I hadn't seen Dragged Across Concrete, which is this movie from this year, which you, of course, put on your best of. <laughs> of yes, of I did. Year. And of course, that intrigued me more. I'm like, well, OK, now I got it. Now, now I feel like he's trolling me into seeing this. But <laughs> the real problem wasn't I've been looking for this. I could have seen it on Redbox. However, Redbox only offered a DVD copy. And I'm a snob. Okay, right. And I said, I'm not yeah. going to watch it on DVD because if it's already doesn't look that good, I don't want it to right. look even worse. So... The only place that it's available is on Cinemax, which I don't have. Oh, okay. However, <laughs> uh, fates collided <laughs> that Cinemax was offering a free one-week trial. Oh. Uh -huh. And I wasn't going to like sign up and have to sign up just right. for this movie. However, they offered another film that my wife wanted to watch and my boys wanted to watch and we all wanted to watch was the movie that well, the two of us saw in the night. It was 2011. We both saw it in the theater. was Contagion. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is the Soderbergh movie that's uh, yeah. come to life in many ways uh, in recent times. So so she rented, uh, she you know got Cinemax for a week so that she could, we could watch Contagion, which we all did last weekend. It was, uh, you know, it was fun to watch, yeah. <laughs> if you can call it fun. But uh, I, I do love that movie a lot. And yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a very well put together movie and a great script too. I do have some flaws with it, my own picadillos, but that aside, uh, I did enjoy Contagion. So the bonus was... Great. Now, clock's racing. I can watch Drag Across Concrete. <laughs> and, you know, I, I wasn't going to be able to watch it in one sitting. I had to start watching. And of course, isn't it like two hours and 40 minutes? It is. And I think that's for a lot of people. The, the knock on it is it's super slow. It doesn't need to be there that yeah. long. So I watched it, I think, you know, I, I stole some moments to watch like the first hour or so. Yeah. And then... I made a mistake of late at night putting it on <laughs> just as the Jennifer Carpenter scene was yeah, starting. And at that point, you can't you can't not watch the whole thing. No, you that is the turning point in the movie, that scene. Yep, and the then way. it is just on a trajectory after that. Yeah, I literally had stopped the film right where suddenly Jennifer Carpenter's character is being introduced and was going to get on that bus. Yeah. And then, so then the next night I turned it on and watched this and that was it. You cannot, I, I could not wa stop watching this film. Um, that scene is incredible. It is. But I mean, I have on one hand, I respect, like I've read about this 
as Craig Zoller and his approach. Yeah. And he's a very, you know, he's a very combative director. He okay. doesn't yeah. like critique. He doesn't want to hear from it. He has his own reasons. And I think he's entitled to that. Yeah. Um, but that also, if you're going to look at his work and critique it, on the one hand, I got through the movie and I enjoyed it. And all the stuff that he decided he chose that he wanted to put in there, he put yeah. in there. But if I was also looking as a critic, I could say that if he knew how to place the camera better, if he had a better <laughs> cinematographer, and that he was willing to to lose some of his flourishes with just writing these long scenes that don't necessarily add, that the movie still might have been better. Um, so the Jennifer Carpenter scene, and I don't really want to give away that whole thing. Don't you, give away that sequence, yeah. I won't, but if you really think about it, that it, it is, you, everybody has to admit that it, in, in many ways it's unnecessary. It's totally unnecessary. It's, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary in terms of plot and story. Like, and I think maybe he likes that. He He's violating a lot of rules of how you write a screenplay. He absolutely is. But that sequence is so powerful. Yes. That it almost doesn't matter because it has this, it's useless in terms of the plot. It's useless in terms of the overall character development and the flow of the story. But it's so powerful and it sucks you in and it, you're right about how he's breaking these rules, but the fact that he's doing that unsettles me in a good way. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. The, but I will also offer that he makes a mistake. I found it confused. You never want to confuse your audience. Right. And I think the Jennifer Carpenter part confused because something happens, right? And then there's the like kind of like a female kind of hostage that comes along yes. for the part. You You see something very quick and you're trying to process what you've just seen. And yeah. then you see somebody go in the car. So now you're like, well, wait a minute. What did I just see? But then you find out later that the person that's in there isn't necessarily – like I'm I'm sitting there going, is Jennifer Carpenter that person in the oh, truck? Oh, I see. Okay. And who is that person? And then when they come out, it, it, it's very – it is confusing, I found. Okay. And I found that because they – like I think it might have been a better uh, approach to have had Jennifer Carpenter be that character. Right. Continue. It was just it made it made it a little bit – uh, unfocused. Okay, I can see that. It didn't confuse me, but I can see where you're. Well, I mean, from. I eventually started figuring it out, yeah. but like, when, and I didn't go rewinding you know, certain parts. Right. And of course, having seen Cell Block ninety nine already and Bone Tomahawk, anything that happens in Dragged Across Concrete is fairly tame. Oh yeah, yeah. It's but I can definitely... see for you who saw it for the first time, you may have been like, um, whoa, I've seen some things here. And I'm thinking like the convenience store part. Yes. I, I bet you that was a scene that like probably disrupted you a bit. Yes. And uh, there definitely are. There's several scenes like that that, uh, I mean, multiple. But I think part of it is that his voice is pretty unique, this guy. And it sometimes is irritating to me, <laughs> but it's so unique and so specific. And, you know, there's definitely times in these movies where I'm kind of rolling my eyes a little bit. So his language, right? It's not normal patter. Exactly. But that's okay because Mammoth isn't necessarily normal patter. Right. And I look at it like, and this is why this guy's sort of out of time, out of the place, is that his filmmaking, why we gravitate, like there's stuff in there that you're like, wow, no one else did something like this. And it's cool the way Tarantino likes a Grindhouse movie. Right. But this is not in the Grindhouse era where you'd be like shooting <laughs> on cheap stock and you could forgive that it had a look to it because it was so cheap. Yeah. This has a different cheap look that kind of takes it away. And I think he's earned, after this movie, I feel like he's now earned the right for somebody to come up and say, we're going to pair you with a good cinematographer. <laughs> the, the guy who trolled you into this. Yeah. 
I was discussing this with him the other day, and he feels like the cheap aesthetic is part of what makes them good. Yeah, I'll disagree with that. Yeah, but but I'm just saying that opinion is out there. I'm not sure that I agree with that, but there is something about sort of the B-moviness of these. I mean, it's it's really weird. It's like an art film crossed with a B-movie. But, but that's what I ultimately appeal to, the fact that I like that it's a B-movie aspect. And this film dragged across concrete. It seems to have gotten a lot under a lot of critics' skin. Yeah. And, and partly because, I mean, again, when we think about the wokester attitude, I personally think it's fascinating that you take a story about two cops that... There's a question there. Is there essentially some good in them, even though they're kind of, you know, well, one cop's really kind of racist and the other one's maybe, you know, borderline. Does he do some of that to just kind of uh, impress his older partner or is what's in his makeup? But then it goes beyond that to actually sit down and kind of have these dialogue scenes so that we really get the well-roundedness of their characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And. I mean, he goes to some extremes. I mean, you could argue that Mel Gibson, like, does he have to live in the bad section of town? <laughs> right. And, you know, and then the, the, the daughter, like, you know, I mean, I do find it fascinating. They get, they got this wife who has, uh, turns out she has MS and uh, right. you're not sure at first whether or not she's having a problem from an injury on the job mm-hmm. or, or, or the, and you don't find out that it's MS for a while, uh, but that when they're worried about their daughter getting kind of yeah. harassed on the street, she goes right into that racial profiling aspect. Yes, absolutely. Just because you're hearing something and it's uncomfortable, there's also the reality that there are people that exist and these are their attitudes. Yes. And if Mel Gibson's character was a really good cop, he wouldn't go on the path that he does. <laughs> to take, he would definitely not. No. He wouldn't be going after a uh, some kind of deal that he's going <laughs> to try to like a caper that he's going to try to out caper. He wouldn't even yeah. go that route. And then also there's a turning point where they know that they're in the middle of something and it might be hard to explain what they were doing in the middle of that something. However, they could make one decision. They could then call in the reinforcements right. because of what's happened or they can go further down the rabbit hole and they decide to go further down the rabbit <laughs> hole. Just, which is, I think, Brawl and Cellblock 99 has a very similar structure. That's why I feel like the two of them are paired together in yeah. a way that Bone Tomahawk isn't. Because there are many times at which the Vince Vaughn character, the main character in Brawl and Selbach, there are many times at which he could make a different choice. Yeah. He doesn't have, right. And even Mel Gibson's going to allow him to get off the train. Yeah. And he still goes for it. Yeah. But they have this awesome kind of dialogue back and forth about the, the way they talk about it. And they have this like almost cop code for how they're going right. about. I, I love that stuff. I love when Vince Vaughn's eating the breakfast sandwich uh-huh. and is annoying <laughs> Mel Gibson. Like this is stuff that I like. It's it's other things that narratively he, he messes up. There's a trick at the end about kind of like the fact that it takes a while before we even meet the Mel Gibson character. Right. We're yes. introduced to a different character. However, if... Zoller intends for the character we first meet to be the lead actor, to be the right. main protagonist. He doesn't do that character the right service in the narration. I don't think he's supposed to be the main character. Well, I think this is where there's some mix-ups there because, again, I, I like I said, when, we, when I call the movie uneven, yeah. I think that there's some stuff that's not quite fleshed out enough and that maybe condensing the story into quicker scenes – 
Interesting. Not necessarily this great dialogue, but I just think that it's an uneven movie, and that's okay. That's why a B movie is a B movie. It's right. It's got a lot of great stuff. I recommend it to a lot of. I will recommend it to a lot of people. And, and yeah, when you say it got under critics' skin, you mean they didn't like it? Uh, well, they didn't like it because of the what they did. There's this proposed feeling like I don't know what Zoller's own political beliefs are, but I happen to think that he's just kind of playing with this right wing attitude because yeah. the, the the town, the city that it exists is called Bulwark. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if you know or never, but that's like a right wing news outlet. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't know if he makes I mean, that connection, but like, I mean, this is like, there's kind of like, he's thinking he's like, he's almost playing with the fact that people will assume that if you're taking characters that are like now bad guys, right? he's taking the today's bad guys or, or the heroes that are kind of, uh, you know, ambiguous and maybe a little bit tragic heroes and stuff that they might be, you know, right wing guys. Right. Well, and <laughs> so after you watched Drag Across Concrete, you told me I had to watch Brawl and Cell Block 99. Well, because you put it on the best, your best list. And I'm like, well, I don't know how you would think about it if you had seen these other movies first. Exactly. So uh, I think that you thought, well, I don't know what you thought, but I, <laughs> I was going into Brawl and Cell Block 99 with this expectation that it might sort of uh, reduce Dragged Across Concrete in my mind, that I would see some of his faults and those sorts of things, and that I would realize maybe that movie wasn't as good as I thought it was. Ah. The exact opposite happened. <laughs> <laughs> I sat there through Brawl on Cellbuck 99 going, oh my God, this movie's amazing. Well, I think that Dragged Across Concrete helped you enjoy the first half yes. of Cellbuck better than me seeing this for the first time going, what is this crap? Exactly. And yep. thinking, I want to shut this off, but I'm going to stay with it. And then, of course, by the end of it, I'm like, okay. <laughs> by the end of it, it's, it's like, yeah, wow. that. Well, I mean, I have to be honest, by the end of Cell Block 99, I have to say that I had never seen anything quite like it. I have never seen anything quite like it. And that's again, that's why Dragged Across Concrete. I mean, yes, now I've seen things like it. I've seen his other movies now, but I still feel like... I I'm amb- I I have mixed feelings about the movie, but I could not let it go. It, you know, it's been about a year since I saw it. Yeah, you saw it early on. Yeah, I saw it pretty early on, and and I I, I didn't know a lot about it beforehand. I, I was actually trolled into watching it by the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> he succeeded. But I can't. I couldn't let. It, so when I when it came down to making my top ten of the year, that was one of the questions I asked myself: was what which one of these movies are sticking with me? Dragged Across Concrete sticks with me. I can't let the movie go. And I feel the same way about Brawl on Cell Block 99. Like that movie has seared itself into me somehow. You've told me offline that you've now watched the first half of Bone Tomahawk, right? I ha- I have like 25 minutes left. But so you've seen some of the. Very- oh, I've seen. Oh, I've seen some of it. Oh, I've seen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The last the, the climax is, is very good, too. But again, what he's giving us in that. It's funny. I found that the violence was was. Harder to take in Cell Block 99, but because yeah. Bone Tomahawk, it was almost like a weird naturalistic, like you kind of bought that, well, this is just what these troglodytes do. Right. Yeah. 
But he also gave us this great device with the bone tomahawk thing. Yes. Like, oh my god. And and I just think oh and I just god. think that uh, you know he's giving us some. Now supposedly he has this western. I can't remember the name of it. The troll uh-huh. knows. And it's it was famous for being like the number one on one of those uh, script Hollywood blacklists. Oh okay. Unpublished uh, or unmade uh, scripts. Yeah. And it's probably too elaborate a Western, that's why he hasn't gotten a chance to direct it, but supposedly it's going to be made now by uh, the guy did Old Boy. The guy did Old Boy, yeah. Um, so you might finally get, or I might finally get, you know, his script in the hands of somebody who knows cinema. Right. And we'll see what happens. And that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I gotta say there is something about the B-movie aesthetic that appeals to me with these. It makes them somehow more raw and the violence more... Like the the fact that he's not he's not using the camera a lot to tell you what to look at. Well, well yeah, he's not guiding you with edits and close ups and it's these exactly. long shots, and it's not even long take with like these elaborate camera moves. It's just no. long take, static, almost like surveillance camera being pointed. And exactly, it's super wide with the video and sometimes he doesn't even put and with, I hate this personal hate is that he doesn't put the mirror in the car windows I hate that oh, right. <laughs> so it actually looks like a rig where you're just yeah. your car is just static and there's lights around it but this is what's interesting okay we're very noticeable for that first hour or so yes. when when those shots are like that you're like wow this camera's not moving and yeah. yet and you and it's like it's not even an interesting composition however when things start to go and move I am not aware of when the camera's cutting or if mm-hmm. it's moving because there's so much going on. So again, I, I'm faulting this guy, but then he's got something going, right? He's worth discussion. And I feel like it's, this movie's a hidden gem. The drag yes. across concrete is like a... See, I would say that his best movie, in my opinion, in a weird way, is Bone Tomahawk. My favorite of the movies is Cell Block 99. His most I mean, accomplished <laughs> film is Dragged Across Concrete, if that makes any sense. I, I, yes, I, I totally agree. I mean, there's there's some part, there's this part in Bone Tomahawk very early on, and, and this is somehow how he gets at these small moments, but Kurt Russell goes to get this other guy whose uh, wife has been kidnapped. Right. And he goes and knocks on his door, and the guy uh, just basically leaves his house, right? And Kurt Russell goes back to the guy's house and shuts the door and picks up the guy's boots. Because <laughs> the guy just stormed out of his house without even putting his shoes on. And it was just such a great little moment, uh, like a character moment, that you don't expect to see in a B-movie. Right. And it's and it's very thoughtful. It's a small detail and it fills in so much about who this Kurt Russell character is. And then, I mean, the movie, <laughs> you've got Kurt Russell, you've got an old guy, Patrick Wilson's in it. Patrick Wilson. You've got like a young racist gun shooter guy. And then you've got a guy with a broken leg. <laughs> And th- and this is the, <laughs> this is the posse that they get together <laughs> to go on this rescue mission, which is a little bit like the Searchers. It does riff on the Searchers a little bit, but then then it goes out of control. Yeah, but just the idea of the rescue mission, you know, rescuing from the natives is like <laughs> sort of the racist. <laughs> yeah, except for the, the the natives in this case turn out to be some kind of inhuman like troglodyte. Yes, yes, and yet for some reason. You actually buy, like, it's almost like you want to go to history books, like, did this exist? Like, oh, yeah. they feel like, because they're not supernatural. No, but they definitely feel like they're, I mean, they almost remind me of the, uh, 
of the bad guys in Mandy? Yes. Yeah, no, the Zoller work does have a very Mandy-esque feel to it. It does. So one of the other things he does, and you may have noticed this, so he's starting to build like a little stock acting group. Yes, yes. <laughs> and there's one guy, so there's this actor, character actor named Fred Melamed, yeah. and he's in all three of the movies. He always has a small part. And essentially, S. Craig Zoller saw him in the Coen Brothers' Serious Man. Okay. He fell in love with him, sought him out, and said, you're my muse, and I want to <laughs> basically find ways to put you in all my movies. So, so like, even in Dragged Across Concrete, there's not, like, a real role for him. Right. So he's in the bank scene. He plays the manager. And Jennifer Carpenter was supposed to be in Bone Tomahawk, but I think she had to drop out because she was pregnant. Okay. And there was a reason why she couldn't do it. So instead, she does... Uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99. Right. And then again, I think that's where maybe why the movie doesn't, it has that scene that doesn't exist is that he likes Jennifer Carpenter and he right. wanted to put her in a movie. So he put her in that scene. It's a hell of a sequence. She's, that's the thing is that individually, like that entire scene, it's weird. You argue that it really shouldn't exist, but at the same time, it's kind of awesome. <laughs> oh, it's, I mean, in, in a way, it's like this, like the emotional linchpin of the whole movie, even though it doesn't really need to be there. Yeah. And then in there, and the, I mean, like, you know, again, it's hard. Like when you take a heist movie and there's been tons of them, you yeah. have to find ways to do something a little unique and a little different. And I have to say, yes. <laughs> everything that happens is unique and different, right? It's all unique and different. Yeah. And it's- I could tell you that. Te- I was in my bed watching it and I kept on, I paused to see how much is left because I was like, how late is this? Is like, well, I got to go. I'm like, you know what? I'll be tired tomorrow. I got to watch it all because <laughs> I couldn't take my eyes off it. It was too intense. We've been talking about the third act too. And there's something to me that changes in the filmmaking in the third act. I felt like even though it's these static shots that in Brawl on Cell Block 99, when the action starts. Oh, my God. And Vaughn, doesn't he look like the most kick-ass giant in oh that movie? Oh, my God. They make yes. him look like he's eight feet tall. Like- yes. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was saying this before we started taping that I've long said that I think Vince Vaughn is underrated as an actor. And, and this movie, he is amazing. This is an incredible performance. I also think it's great. I think it's dragged across concrete. It's incredible as well. Yes, they absolutely. Yes, that, that's incredible as well. It's, it's It shows us what a good actor Vince Vaughn really is. Um, but that's what I was going to say about the third act is that the choreography is actually really good. Yeah. Like, no, that's what I'm saying. Suddenly he goes from like, feels like amateurish filmmaking to suddenly, you know, you're lulled into that and then boom. And then boom, you are hit with this sledgehammer. Uh, little, yes. Or bone tomahawk, as the case may be. Uh, skull-crushing action. <laughs> There's plenty of skull-crushing action, and it it's very raw. It would feel different to me if it was oh, if it was being directed more. And uh, I feel like the violence is, in a way, very matter-of-fact. This guy's got something unique going on, and I'm looking forward to his next movie. Well, apparently he's a huge Fangoria fan and grew up and he loved the gore stuff. And, you know, but yet he doesn't necessarily like horror movies, but he still likes the gore stuff. So you get this in these movies. And I'm kind of glad in a way that Dragged Across Concrete wasn't filled with that the way these other two movies are. Because I do feel like it's an evolution not, not to say that there aren't some things that you don't there, there are get some in the things <laughs> but like for me that last 45 minutes of dragged across concrete the, basically the parking lot sequence yes to me is really well put together 
Oh, it's great. And uh, again, you've been you've built up this camaraderie between yeah. and a sort of like a, a, a kind of an understanding between Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. So yeah. their interactions during that play so well together. Yes, because you've all yeah you've already figured out who these people are. The best is when, the best is when Vince Vaughn gets the phone message, and he's like you know and, and he's like it's not that's not the answer I was looking for. Oh, that's like, right. <laughs> like you know nothing is going right in these. Yeah, guys. well, I mean that's the other thing. This, it, it, all these movies are kind of this uh, downward spiral. Yeah. Like it, it, it's sort of spiraling around in sort of this weird kind of normalcy at the beginning and it just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. I just think there was an opportunity though, to turn this movie from B grade to like a literal masterpiece because he was yeah. going for parallels between the life of the Mel Gibson character yeah. and the other guy, you know, the, yep. the sort of criminal, but he doesn't pull it off with the script. And I think that he should have right. invested more time in that because that's fascinating. Their lives, in a sense, their family lives. There's there's yes, similarities there's the, going on. Absolutely, yeah. And maybe it just it's. I, I I think that's a valid criticism. But I but here's the thing. This is what's tough, and I think it's tough for some critics to separate in the world that we live in today. Vince Vaughn, in his personal life, he's kind of a uh, he's a libertarian conservative dude who doesn't seem to have a problem with Trump. And right. that, of course, you know, if you're a film critic and stuff, you're probably more liberal and that becomes a problem to separate him. And then when he plays a character like this, it seems to feed into that, well, this is who right. Vince Vaughn is. And then, of course, he played that criminal in Cell Block 99. And then we have Mel Gibson with his <laughs> a lot uh, of baggage. He, he's got a lot of baggage there. Yeah. But, but now let's put that aside. And again, we go back to the actors. And if you put, if you set that aside and you will and you give this film a chance you, you just look at Mel Gibson the guy you, you remember this movie makes you remember my god that guy actually was a good actor yeah and Vince Vaughn when he's got the right vehicle I, and again you have to find that secret sauce and I think that's right, what Craig right. Zoller has with these two movies because Vince Vaughn when he came on the scene in Swingers was great yes. and then they try to put him in stuff that just didn't fit and he wasn't that good and every now and then you'd see him turn in something that was like pretty good actually well I thought he has comic brilliance in the um, the Wedding Crashers yes and, and I'm like wow they let, like, they let Vince Vaughn do everything all the things he does well. And then yeah. he saw the, this movie that was uh, his buddy there, um, the big director, um, his friend that uh, directed Iron Man and stuff. Oh, yeah, John Favreau. Yeah, John Favreau's first directorial film was a movie called Made that I yes. really like. I don't know if yep. you've seen it. I have seen it. And Vince Vaughn, as a really sort of low level, dumb, sort of mafia stooge, is yeah. really, really good in that. I, I, he has some great great moments in that movie. But see, these moments, he's finding the right way to use him. And he played like a dark, villainous sort of like mafia character in season two of True Detective, and he right. just looked like the worst actor in the world. Yes, I, I totally agree. Uh, and again, I don't know what the deal was. It just, somebody didn't know how to direct him right or something. But this, these two movies, it's like, it's a different Vince Vaughn. It's so he's so good. He's so he's so good. Yeah. Somehow Zoller found what this guy is capable of and brought it out of him. Like I bought these two as uh, sort of you know corrupt detective guys. Oh, absolutely. They just felt real. Yes, they felt very real. Yeah. And again, I think some of the slow setup is responsible for that. Yeah, I don't. I actually enjoyed what. Like, I remember going, "Well, geez, this movie they're, they're saying it's like too long and stuff." And I'm like, I don't mind all this, but I at the same time can say, "Well, look, 
did this movie have to be two hours and 40 minutes? It could have been slow. He seemed to be going for like heat, but yet he didn't yeah. have the the suave nature of like a Michael Mann to have like the great camera work and then cinematography. But it's also, it's it's actually a pretty small movie when you think about it. You know, Heat has a lot of big set pieces. Yeah. It's got all, you know, this this has one set piece. Well, like I said, I want to see what this guy does with a budget. Would he be more of the same? I feel like I've seen an evolution, which is what I'm interested yeah. is that he's actually evolving. He's got trademarks already. Mm-hmm. He has some pitfalls he keeps going into. And I think he's, he's used the same cinematographer all three times. Yeah. And I don't think that guy's getting any better because Bone Tomahawk to me looked like it really was the one that looked like they were doing a play several times until they were yes. in the outdoors parts. Yeah, absolutely. And like it just was, it was just like set up really weird. Like, it, like it's like, we know it's probably a set. You don't have to make it look like it's a set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But once they get outside, I mean, it's, boy, it, I, I think it definitely is, um, needs to, it's a movie that needs to be considered, uh, as an interesting entry in the Western genre. Oh, I agree. And and you know what? The movies don't look that cheap. I was no. expecting Dragged Across Concrete. It must have been a bad transfer or something they did for the trailer. Um, but it didn't look that bad. But, they, you know, it really looked video-ish to me in times. Uh, it really does, yeah. Particularly early on. And, th- and then, you know... I kind of got used to it. I kind of just moved past it when I was watching that movie. Absolutely. And he doesn't seem to be concerned that he's working with a a house, uh, a production company that like the the distributor is pretty much going to do day and date like video on demand and he's not going to get much of a release. However, I I, I for one would show up for a Zoller Film Fest. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to see these in the theater and see what the impact might be. Uh, Yeah. I could keep going on, but I think these are movies that – for film fans kind of need to be seen. Yeah, I mean, the question is, do you think, are they more geared? I mean, I, I think they might be, they're a little bit more male-oriented. Like, would women like these movies? I don't know. I, they're definitely male-oriented. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I'm definitely not going to, like, sit down and watch Cell Block 99 with my wife. Well, I think. my wife has, yeah, she'll have zero desire to watch these movies. She does not want to see them. But I think this guy is a really interesting voice. I think he's got something unique going on. And I I would suspect that I think Brawl on Cell Block 99 is still on Amazon. Maybe it's on Netflix, but it's streaming somewhere. Yeah, I think that and Bone Tomahawk you can still see. Yeah. And I think that uh, they're probably I haven't now I kind of want to go through the Amazon reviews because I'm curious, like (laughs) what your average person who's going to watch a B movie on Amazon. They're like, oh, it's, uh, you know, Brawl on Cell Block 99 just sounds. By the way, I think that's a terrible title. I would have changed the title. Well, that's actually what turned me off originally. Yeah. Is that. I didn't know anything about the director, and all I knew was I saw heavy advertisements at the time it came out was, oh, there's this movie on demand, uh, Vince Vaughn Brawl and Saulbach 99. Yeah. The movie wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Me neither. I was expecting a prison riot. Yeah, movie. and I'm like, I don't want to see these movies where he's in prison and he has to know the ropes and gets the And boy, yeah. what, what we are got instead is so far <laughs> different. And what Cell Block 99 is, is not what I thought it was going to be. Is not what I thought it, yeah. It, it, well, it defies expectations. That's what was so cool about the movie. Exactly. And the same thing it, with, with all three of his movies. That's what he's doing. And so I think, yeah, if you're a listener and you're a film fan, this guy is worth checking out. But it, 
so look at it, you know, now maybe you're intrigued out there, listener. Go see, but just be warned. We warned. These are some tough movies. Uh, Drive Across are, Concrete yeah. is probably the least violent of the three. <laughs> probably the least violent, but the longest. I mean, even it's a tough. When I first start watching Drag Across Concrete, the first hour, I was like, what is going on here? This is either great or absolutely terrible. <laughs> And by the end of the movie, I was convinced it was great, but... Well, I would hope so if you didn't put it on your <laughs> top 10. Uh, I, I actually, it wasn't until a few days later that I decided it was great, but <laughs> uh, but I definitely had this reaction to it at the beginning, like, this is kind of cheap, it looks like sets, the dialogue is kind of stagey. Well, see, now that's where that's where I had already seen to his movie. I already knew kind of how he does the dialogue, right. and then I became okay with it. I'm like, you know, like with film noir, it was a style... Yeah. And I like that someone's at least doing something different with this dialogue. Exactly. It's cool. Like, and there was some great, there was some great funny lines, you know? Yeah. There's some great lines. Yeah. Uh, but again, it, like, it's not all about the dialogue in the way that like Tarantino can sometimes be. No, it's, but there's still its own rhythm. Like Tarantino oh, has oh, it's like definitely sort of a, got It's definitely got its own rhythm. I, I would say it's just a little bit less flashy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean. It, it's not as highly quotable. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of people compare him to Tarantino. It's just because of the violence. And, and I that, think it's unfair, though, because I really don't see. I, I, I This is how I see it. I see that Tarantino, the film watcher, would see movies like this and love them and get yeah. inspired Yes. Then do his own style. So yep. rather than this is a Tarantino type film, though I can say that this is dragged across concrete the most is the film that I could imagine Tarantino taking, maybe doing some polish with his own yeah. flourishes on the script <laughs> and directing it. And yeah. it would be a very fascinating to see him direct the same movie because the rhythm and the way he moves the camera and stuff yep. would be different. Would be different. Yeah. So, I, again, I think it's unfair to comparison. I, I feel it's unfair. I, I agree. I think it's kind of a silly comparison. I also think it's unfair to just say, oh, you know, this is some right-wing racist fantasy. I think there's a little bit more going on that. And I think people miss yeah. the fact that it's also that, that he's playing with this notion that these right-wing guys are bad guys. Yeah. And, I, yeah, there is that moral complexity to it, too. I don't think, again, our friend who trolled us into this, uh, he trolled somebody else into it. Yeah, and did they want to beat him? And their response was, dude, why are you watching these racist movies? Yeah, I think that's a very simplistic view. I, I agree. It is a simplistic view, but I, I understand that some people will have that reaction. Well, I mean, the way I look at it is this film would have felt very um, comfortable in the early 80s under the, I think as the troll said, the uh, the the Carolico logo yes. or yep. the Canon logo. Oh, it definitely would fit under the Canon logo. Like I could see Zoller in the early 80s directing uh, Chuck Norris movies yep. and Charles Bronson movies. Oh, it would have been so great to see him do a Bronson movie. But that's what I'm saying is there's also that aesthetic and that look of that, yeah. like that film stock that wasn't quite high quality. Exactly. And just, yeah. And I understand that's just not going to happen. But see, if it was, see, if he was on film, since film was expensive even back then, yeah. he would have been forced to have to make been. shorter movies. <laughs> it's, tr it's true. He, he, that's, that would be the nature of that. They're like, yeah, no. And and also movie that's like, you got to have it 90 minutes so that we can show it so many times a day. Exactly. And, and now he's a little unrestrained. Well, but that's. 
the thing with sort of those grindhouse movies is they were actually kind of cheap and short and quick and dirty. And so they just gave you the goods. He gives you the goods, but you got to go through the first hour and a half to get to <laughs> exactly. them. Exactly. And the hour and a half is good. It's just that people aren't aren't patient and they got to wait. Right. For, and I guarantee you, if you wait, like the payoff of dra- the, the the last 40, four, I don't know how much, I guess it's from the Jennifer Carpenter when she comes on the screen to the rest of the movie. It's kind of a borderline masterpiece. It is. Uh, no, it. Abs- I think you're absolutely right. It is a borderline masterpiece at that point. Yeah. And I'm willing to forgive a lot of the things that came before because of that. Yeah. And the cell block 99, the energy in that last half of the movie, as soon as he goes to prison, yes. right? The energy from that moment on, it, it, it's, I don't know what's guilty pleasure or what, but I, I mean, I was there. And, yeah, and, me and too. Bo- Bone Tomahawk. Again, the stuff you had mentioned at the beginning, the, like the weird quirky stuff, it, you know, again, this is his first movie. I'm like, what is going? But yeah. just by the end of that movie, I had to say, I haven't seen anything quite like it. <laughs> well, that's exactly it. And that's, I got to give this guy his due because nobody else is doing quite what he's doing. He's on his own wavelength. And he gets good performances out of actors. He gets amazing performances. Yeah. So, okay. So look at surprise, surprise. We have like a super, we have like a two part <laughs> episode in one. Uh, it's long. I don't know what's going to happen when I cut it down won't be it won't be able to be cut down because it's so damn good so you the <laughs> listeners is gonna have to enjoy it all uh until the next time well who knows we might be uh well we'll, we'll be here because you yeah, know we'll we're not be going here. anywhere with coronavirus but uh you know we might have things happening around us where kids start to have to come home from school and that might make it tricky yep so we'll see we'll just uh we'll, the show must go on that's right because we know you the listener out there might not have any movies to go see <laughs> so you're going to rely on us to what to watch on video and stuff and i think we're going to keep that in mind since we're not going to be reviewing any new movies anytime soon right we should do some like uh uh quarantine uh quarantine list of things that are available streaming yeah and i promise the next episode i am not going to jump into 80s oscars but we will do that in a future program okay <laughs> and also listeners send us your top 10 list for the year or the decade i'd really love to hear some more decade west john ford but not the one who's a long dead film director gave us one and we want more so keep listening and keep watching stuff all right kids uh and also you know remember stuff we've seen.com or feedback at stuff we've seen.com and we got an instagram and all that other fun stuff all right bye bye bye